Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. At the end of the service, we are going to have communion. We're going to have communion together. Hopefully, as you came in through the doors, you received a communion cup. If you did not, uh, we will have ushers at the very end of the service ready to, uh, to pass out those to anyone who maybe did not. But um, we're going to have communion. And what I'd like for you to do is to go ahead and start preparing your heart now. If you're like me, I walk into this room carrying cares and concerns. I walk in here sometimes, and I'm, I'm just having to, to, to filter through the, the aspects of life that sometimes can, uh, can, can cloud my mind. And, and it's always good when we come to a moment of communion because it, it really puts things in perspective that everything else fails in comparison to what he has done for us. And we do this in remembrance of him. But it's always important for us to check our hearts and, uh, and just kind of lay all of the burdens aside and focus on really what matters, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Today we're starting a new series called Bigger Than Me. Bigger Than Me. And... Um, this series is going to be an interesting series throughout this month as if we go in the direction I feel God is leading us. Today is going to be very foundational for that. Whit Springs, Arkansas. Whit Springs, Arkansas. Population 100. They have a hard time producing high school athletes from a student body of a total of 41 7th to 12th graders. 41 7th to 12th graders but there's something different about the athletes in Wits Springs, Arkansas. Once in a basketball game against Leslie High, Wits Springs trailed by more than 30 points with just two minutes to go in the game, and the crowd starts chanting, Scotty, Scotty, Scotty. And that's when Coach Nash, the head basketball coach, waved Scotty Harmon in and let him get into the game. Now, Harmon, Scotty Harmon, has cerebral palsy, and he received a pass on the perimeter, and he flung the ball up towards the hoop, and he missed, and it was at that moment that his teammates started scrambling for the rebound. They grabbed the rebound, and they threw it back to Scotty, giving him a second chance. He shot the ball, and he missed again terribly, and again, his teammates just scrambled and fought for the ball, pushing other players out of the way. They wanted that ball with Scotty in the game, they had this new energy and a new fight. Even though they were down 30 points, with Scotty in the game, things were different. The head coach, Coach Nash, said these words. He says, the kids know when Scotty's in there, their game is over. They're doing it for him. The atmosphere changes. If they're worn out, they'll break their necks to get that rebound. Our kids will go above everybody to get the ball to Scotty. That night on his fourth try, Scotty sunk a three-pointer. Fans on both, side of, on both sides of the gym began to cheer and, and celebrate, and the scoreboard ended up being Leslie School, 89, Witt Springs, 58. But everybody in that gym that night left a winner. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to hang out in 1 Corinthians quite a bit today. I have realized, church, that my greatest accomplishments in my life are not achieved on my own. Sure, the enemy would try and have 
me convinced sometimes that the greatest things in my life I have achieved on my own, and even at times has, have, has probably shifted the priorities to where I don't understand the divine order and the way it should be. But as I, I look back on my life in retrospect, I, I understand that my greatest accomplishments in my life have not been achieved on my own. Please allow me to list them in order of priority. The greatest accomplishment that I have in my life is my salvation. And it required nothing from me and everything from Christ. All I had to do was accept it. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Accept him as the Lord of my life. It's my greatest accomplishment, and I had very little to do with it. My second greatest accomplishment is my marriage. It involved the direction of God. As I look back, I certainly know that God had my path crossed with Mandy's path for a specific and divine reason. It also involved the willingness of my wife. It's hard to get married if she's not willing. And like a cord of three strands, we invited God into our relationship for strength and stability. The third greatest accomplishment of my life is my children. And that also required God. He is the giver of life. Amen? So it required God. It required me and my wife. That was fun. And it also required obedient children. I thank God for my children. And they are a great accomplishment in my life. Even the very thing that others might view as the greatest success in my life, Destiny Community Church, it involved, first and foremost, God. He adds to the church daily those who are being saved. It did include me. It did include my wife. It included my children. It also includes my staff, our administrative council, our volunteers, our team leaders, and you. None of this happens without you. And so I do look at this as a great accomplishment, not just in my life, but in our lives, together. But if you noticed, every layer of my life builds upon the next it builds upon the last and it keeps going and every layer as I lay down the foundation for this series my prayer for us church listen to me my prayer for us is that we will feel both the strength and the responsibility of belonging to something bigger than what we are I want you to look around this room this is only one service from today no, I really want you to look around the room. Like, bend your neck. Look around the room. This is bigger than one man. This is bigger than a church staff. What God is doing at Destiny Community Church, it's bigger than me. I want you to say those words with me. Say, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27 to begin with. The Apostle Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, 
are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more presentable, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I wonder sometimes if we actually believe what the Apostle Paul is telling us in this particular letter. Do we really believe that we are a part of the one body of Christ? If so, have we fully recognized our place in the body? Because we all have a place in the body of Christ. Are we an arm? Are we a hand? Do you extend his love in very practical ways? Are you his hand extended? Are you a leg? Are you a foot? Are you called to take the gospel to those that need it? Are you an eye? God uses you to clearly see where the body is heading. Maybe you're an ear. And we need you to hear the voice of the Lord. I love people that, that they're the heart of the body of Christ. Your passion inspires us to keep going, to keep moving. I love the heart of the body of Christ. I know for some of us, it, it seems less desirable, but some of you, you're the, you're the nostrils. You are. You are. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. You breathe fresh air into this body. It's one of the reasons why I love new believers. is because when they get excited about what's happening in their life and they get excited about what's happening in the church, they just breathe fresh air into the body. There's a place for everyone. Paul even said that our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty this is why some people that act like a donkey's butt, we just simply keep them covered. There's a place for them, but Paul said, you got to cover them, and we do. And God has blessed me throughout the years. Man, he really has. There are some, some stubborn and rude people that have just come along at different times, and, and you learn to keep them covered. Modesty. We keep them covered in prayer, and you love them anyway. Amen? Don't point at them right now. This gets very awkward, right? Some people pride themselves on becoming that extra growth that is attached to the body that hinders its ability. This is what you don't want to be. You know, it's like a tumor attached to the backbone. 
and it's, it's limiting our courage. Or, or maybe it's cataracts on the eyes hindering our vision. Some people, I think they're proud to be a bunion on the side of the foot that, live, that limits our ability to walk this thing out. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them right now, say, don't be a bunion. Don't be a bunion. Look at the person on the other side. Tell them, say, don't be a bunion. Now, if they said it louder to you than the person sitting on the other side of them, if the shoe doesn't fit, maybe it's you. Bunion's in the way, right? All right. Paul loved the church in Corinth. Paul loved the church in Corinth. And if you read this letter, there's moments where he's rebuking them. But I assure you, he loved the church in Corinth. He planted this church in Corinth on his second missionary journey around 51 AD. And you have to remember that, that what, uh, when he planted this, he had already been imprisoned in, in uh, Philippi. He had already been smuggled out of Thessalonica. Paul had already been driven out of Berea, and he was laughed out of Athens. And then he plants the church in Corinth. He still found the energy. And it happened because God gave him a vision. And, and God assured Paul that when he got to Corinth, no one was going to harm him. God assured him of that. He said, no one's going to harm you. And God tells him, I, I'm going to raise up a large church there with many people. It is going to be something great Church, listen to me. Everyone in the room, I want you to listen to me. We will never apologize for the size of our church. I know that we're not a mega church, but we don't live in a large city either. Per capita to others, I know at times we appear that way. We appear you know, like, like, like we're, we're too big, but don't ever apologize for that. And, and I know that sometimes we come under scrutiny for, for the size of our ministry, but more people means that there's more disciples, which equates to more souls being saved from hell and more people serving in the kingdom of God. I will never apologize for how many people are attached to this church. Amen? Paul stayed in Corinth for, for 18 months investing in those people. He planted the church. He invests in them. He raises up leaders. Paul, he invests so much into them. And, and after 18 months, he leaves and, and he leaves. He appoints Apollos to be the lead pastor there for the church. And he leaves for Ephesus to where we believe he was gone for about three years. Maybe during that time, he, he may have come back once or twice to visit with the church. We're not quite certain, but, but we know that, that he left the church with Apollos as the lead pastor. But you know, as with any organization of human beings, problems start to arise. How many of you know that anytime you get a group of people together, problems are going to arise? You get a group of people that all share the same last name, living under the same roof. They all love each other. But you put a group of human beings under the same roof with one another, and you give it enough time, and there's going to be some chaos. There's going to be some disagreement. Any organization that involves human beings is going to have some problems from time to time. In the church in Corinth, they certainly did. I feel like it's important to note that although I do believe that our text today, and is often read this way, that it applies to the global body of Christ. Do you agree with me? When Paul was talking about we're part of the body, it talks about the, or it, it certainly alludes to the global body of Christ. 
Paul was writing, however, to a specific church in, in a specific city of Corinth. And as he taught them that they were part of one body, he was certainly addressing them as a local body of believers. This letter was meant for them. He was driving the point home that we're part of this body, part of the body of Christ. There was sin that was still being committed in the church at Corinth. Paul was hoping that they would have matured past this by now. That's the goal of, of, of every spiritual leader. We, we know that when people first come to the faith, when people first uh, begin to believe, we know that they, they bring with them baggage. They bring with them the, the, the sins that, that, that they've been struggling with. But Paul was hoping that they would have matured past that by now. He didn't expect them to change all at once, but they should progress in their walk with Christ, not back up or even stay in the same place. I've told you this many times. If we're walking with Christ, we're progressing with Christ. If we're not growing, if we're not maturing, then we're standing still and he's leaving us behind. And Paul had hopes that they would be past these sins by now. They had doctrinal and practical questions. And more than any other book in the New Testament, the first letter to the Corinthians, it deals very forcibly with local church issues. Paul spells it out for them. But more than anything else, it seems as though Paul wanted to remind them that they are representatives of Jesus Christ. I think somebody here needs to be reminded of that today. We, as the body of Christ, we are representatives of Jesus Christ. In everything that we do, we are representatives of Jesus Christ. And Paul was driving this home, and he did not want to waste time. He wasn't waiting to the last chapter. As a matter of fact, ten times in the first ten verses of 1 Corinthians, Jesus is mentioned. Very intentionally, Paul was reminding them, you are part of something that is bigger than you are. You are part of the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head of this church. They were bonded together in the love of Christ, and he didn't want them to forget that. And I want you to listen to Paul's urgency as he wasted no time to address division in the body. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 and 11. He says, I appeal to you. This is at the beginning of the letter now. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So he addresses it. I love, if you know me, I'm a confrontational person. I love to confront. It doesn't bother me. I shouldn't say I love it. I mean, that sounds awful, doesn't it? But I do. I mean, it doesn't bother me at all. And, and, and Paul, man, he confronts this. He gets over to chapter 6. And he acknowledges that, that some of them have become so divisive with one another that they have filed lawsuits against each other. Christian against Christian, church member against church member, filing lawsuits against one another. A church that Paul loved so much and had so much to offer and, and even more potential did not recognize that they were part of one body and that when you hurt one, you hurt us all. That when one struggles, we all struggle. So Paul explains to them in our text this morning, 1 Corinthians 12 and 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, 
yet one body. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. When you recognize that your personal relationship with Christ is bigger than you, it will move beyond just being personal. Let me explain this to you. This is so important for us, church. We've got to understand this. Nobody else can make a decision for you to serve Jesus Christ and to let him be the Lord of your life. Nobody else. God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. And so nobody else can make this decision. It is a personal decision to make him the Lord of your life. But once you make that very personal decision then you must realize that it has to move beyond just being personal, that he's called us to affect one another, not infect, affect. There's three things that I feel like God would have me share with you this morning. Very quickly, I want to move through these. The first one is the need for the body. The need for the body. The greatest weapon that the enemy uses against a Christian is causing them to feel isolated. 1 Peter 5 and 8 tells us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We know this from watching the Discovery Channel, that lions will stalk their prey before attacking, and their attacks will, will cause the, their prey to panic, and, and then they will disperse. And this is very intentional by, by the lions, because it, it allows the lions to isolate and attack a weaker and slower member of the herd a weaker and slower individual. And by, by, by hunting together, lions are able to exhaust and kill their prey alone. And so you don't think that the enemy prowls around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour? You don't think that he does that? It's very intentional. And the way that he moves in on us is he causes us to isolate from the body. If we remove ourselves from the body, then we are vulnerable for that attack. Satan has always tried to isolate people in, or, in order to destroy them. And if you find yourself alone physically, mentally, or even spiritually, I assure you Satan's got you right where he wants you, and he has orchestrated this whole plan on your life. Beware, because what began is this innocent feeling of self-assurance and, 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 and self-efficiency. It's going to result in anxiety. It's going to result in depression, and it could even get more serious than that. Some of you in the room, you know what I'm talking about because the enemy has done that to you at times. Man, he's done it to me at times. So many Christians, they lose the battle because they fight alone when we are clearly designed to fight together. I want you to look around this room. We are designed to fight together. Genesis 2 and 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. From the beginning of humanity, God has intended for us to live in relationship. And one relationship builds upon the no another. Just as my personal relationship with Christ was a foundation, I take that relationship into my marriage. We take those relationships into our home, into our family. We take those relationships into our church body. And one relationship builds upon another. God has intended for us to live life this way. In his book, The Body, by the late Chuck Colson, he wrote these words. He said, many Christians have been infected with the most 
virulent virus of modern American life, radical individualism. They concentrate on personal obedience to Christ as if all that matters is Jesus and me, but in doing so, miss the point. For Christianity is not, is not a solitary belief system. Any genuine resurgence of Christianity, get this, listen to what he says, any genuine resurgence of Christianity, as history demonstrates, depends on a reawakening and renewal of that which is the essence of the faith, the people of God, the new society, the body of Christ, which is made manifest in the world the church. If you ever, church, listen to me, if you ever feel like God is calling you to disconnect from the body for an extended period of, of time, simply put, you're wrong. You're wrong. The enemy is playing mind games with you, and you better seek some wise counsel with that. Because we are designed to live in community with other believers. And to ignore this is to live in direct disobedience to God's word. Hebrews 10 and 25. And let us not neglect, neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another. Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. How many of you believe that the day of the return of our Lord is closer than it's ever been? Amen? Come, if you're a Christian, this is easy for us. We know that today is closer than it was yesterday. We don't know when, but it's easy to understand it's closer. And even more so as we see the day approaching, we are to come together and we are to encourage one another and not neglect that. This is what strengthens the body of Christ. But not only are we designed to live in community, we are called to live in grace and humility towards one another. As a kid... My son, he loved to watch the classic TV show, The Andy Griffith Show. Any Andy Griffith fans? Oh, when days were so much simpler, right? I grew up on the reruns of The Andy Griffith Show. So you know they were like the reruns of reruns of reruns that my son was watching. But he did, man. He loved The Andy Griffith Show. And one of the, the very first episodes depicted that after the death of Sheriff Andy Taylor's wife, he invites Aunt B his Aunt B to come and live with him and Opie. Aunt B comes in and thinking that she's going to add that, that missing woman's touch to the home, uh, it, it doesn't quite go that direction. Opie is not that glad that she's there and he, he doesn't want her to, to try and replace his mother. In an effort to get Opie to, to like Aunt B, Andy invites Aunt B to go fishing with him and Opie and and and. It, it, it just goes from bad to worse because she, she fails miserably at, at both fishing and frog catching. Anybody ever seen this episode? It's a great episode. And, and it just goes, it goes horrible. And, and Opie is, is not satisfied with the fishing adventure on that day. And late that night after Opie had gone to bed, Aunt B asked Andy to take her to the bus station. She's in tears. She is not accomplishing what she come there to accomplish Opie is upstairs, and he can hear her crying downstairs, outside, out his bedroom window. As they get in the truck, Opie comes running downstairs, and, and, he, and he stops them from leaving. And, he, and he's, he's frantic, and he says, Pa, Pa, we can't let her go, Pa. He says, She needs us. She can't even catch frogs. She can't take fish off the hook, and she can't even throw a football. We've got to take care of her, or she'll never make it. God puts people in our lives for different reasons. 
Sometimes we need them. And sometimes they need us. And sometimes those roles change. And when you are in covenant relationship with one another, as we are here in this church, we are in covenant relationship with each other. I know that as our congregation continues to grow, we will not all know each other's names. But I know at any moment, if I have to get up here and I have to express a need in this church, or at any moment if one of us is hurting and we're grieving, I know at any moment that we need one another. When we are in covenant with each other, we will surround each other. We will lift each other up in prayer. Sometimes I need you, and sometimes you need me. That is the way covenant relationship works. And Paul was trying to instill this into the people of Corinth. The world gets angry. When the world is upset with you, the world cuts you off. And we cannot allow that mentality to infiltrate the church. Uh uh. That's not how the body of Christ operates. We've got to be willing to love the tumors, the cataracts, and the bunions. And pray that God works it out for them. But we don't cut them off. Second thing is this, the responsibility to the body. We live in a day that promotes unaccountability. I don't know if that's a word or not, Deanna, but it sounds right. If you tweet me, fix it. We live in a day that promotes unaccountability. People live like their decisions do not affect anyone but themselves. And I'm not just talking about rioters and looters, church. There's people within the walls of the church that sometimes make decisions and we think that it only affects us and not the body. Like a physical body, the body of Christ has to be accountable. We can't eat junk food all the time and expect to be fit. We have to be accountable. You can't sit on the couch watching TV all the time and expect to be active. We've got to be accountable. And you can't cut yourself off from the body and expect us not to experience pain. You know, there's a real thing called phantom pain. That if you, if you lose a limb... We've had people in our church who have, who have lost limbs. They'll, they'll tell you this is a real thing. You lose a limb, and sometimes you can still feel that leg hurting. And just because you disconnect yourself from the body doesn't mean that the rest of us are not going to hurt over that, that separation. We may, not be perfect to, but, uh, we may not be perfect, but I can tell you this. Together in Christ, we become as close to perfect as we will this side of heaven. I don't know about you, but I want to be as close to perfect as close to perfect as I can this side of heaven and it involves you. I have to have you in my life. I have to have the body operating in my life. I want you to listen to Paul's instructions to the church in Ephesus. He didn't just pick on Corinth. He went to Ephesus too. Listen to what he writes to them in chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. He says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every attempt to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. You see, church, we have a responsibility to one another. Even when we don't see eye to eye, even when we don't agree with each other, we've got a responsibility. He goes on to say in verses 15 and 16, he says, Rather, 
speaking the truth in love. Anybody ever had anybody speak the truth in love to you? Hmm? It's hard love sometimes. It's tough. When someone speaks the truth to you in love, it's not always what you want to hear. But it's necessary for the maturity of the body. Paul says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How does the body of Christ mature? In love. In love. We help each other along the way. When one is falling, we, we go to them and we help pull them back up. When one is in rebellion, we go to them and we tell them, this is not the way that we're going to do this. You're part of this body. You're part of, of, of what God wants to do in this church. Finally, the last point here is the strength of the body. The strength of the body. One of the most misunderstood and hard to comprehend verses in all of the Bible is found in John 14 and 12. John 14 and 12, Jesus says these words. He says, I tell you the truth. Listen to what he says. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Does that verse not bother anybody else in the room? Greater? Greater? Greater than Jesus? We will do greater than he did? This has to be a typo, right? So I went and looked it up in the Greek. It's not a typo. Jesus said these words. Has he lost his mind? I mean, this is a bold statement for him to make. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. This man healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He caused the lame to walk. He raised the dead. We sang about it this morning. And greater than that, I don't know about you, but I can safely say, church, that I have never been greater than Christ, nor do I believe that I ever will be. I will never be greater than Christ. But he intended for us as individuals to be great in him, the body of Christ. By myself, I am useless. But connected to the body of Christ, we're not, gonna, we're not doing things greater than him. We're doing things greater in him. And he intended for us to live life this way. 2.4 billion Christians in the world today, give or take a dozen or so. 2.4 billion Christians in the world. Five to 600 that will gather here at this church, here at DCC. And yes, we can do greater things in the body of Christ, but not outside the body of Christ. Inside the body of Christ, specifically DCC, at, right here in this moment, this church, we get to send thousands of dollars corporately together every year on the mission field. Through this church body, we get to locate the ministries around the mission field that need our help. This makes us a part of something greater, bigger than what we are. We get to serve each other within these walls, which is scriptural. 
And we get to serve outside of these walls people who are not yet connected to this church. And we do this through the body. Inside the body of Christ, we get to see hundreds of souls saved. And it doesn't matter. Church, listen to me. It doesn't matter if you're parking cars or wiping babies' butts. Every soul that is saved in this church, it's a jewel in your crown. Because together, we all work together. Everything that we do, it points to the cross. It eventually gets someone there. And you may not see it. You may not realize it. And sometimes serving it may become frustrating. But you have to understand, when we are part of something greater, something bigger than we are, it gives us that opportunity to make that impact. And every soul saved, it's not just accounted to me. It is accounted to us as the body. We, the church in Newberry, Florida, Destiny Community Church, we get to do great things because we're connected with one another. A number of years ago, some of you will remember this, but a number of years ago, we were introduced by our missionaries in Guatemala at the orphanage that we support there, Casa Shalom. We were introduced to a young lady by the name of Rosa. This young girl, Rosa, she did not know that she had a heart condition that she was born with. She gets to the orphanage and she passes out. They get her checked out, and they find out that she's got this heart condition that is going to kill her if she doesn't have surgery. If she doesn't have this procedure done, it is going to kill her. The missionaries tell us that they need X amount of dollars. I don't remember how many thousands it was, but they need this. There is someone in Guatemala City that can do the surgery, but they've got to pay this up front. I came to this church... And I showed you this need. I presented this need to you. And we as a church body, as the body of Christ, we raised all of the funds that were necessary so that this young girl could have that procedure done and her life could be saved. And they sent us this next picture here. As we save Rosa's life. When we are part of something that is bigger than we are, God moves through that. When I stood at the top of this orphanage with a missionary, with Josh Hansen, and we were on a concrete slab where a chapel would hopefully one day sit. They had run out of funds, and, and we... we we're standing there last day, last night of the mission trip. And I came home and I presented it to you. And it was amazing to me that it was only going to cost $25,000. All they had was the foundation. That was it. $25,000 was all it was going to take. We came home. We put our building fund on hold. And for the next three months, we started raising the money. And, and we, we, I about said you. No, I'm part of this body. I'm not disconnecting myself from it. We. Over, three, over a three-month period, we raised $25,000 and Destiny Chapel, we didn't ask them to name it after us, they just did it. Destiny Chapel sits at the top of that hill and, and every week, those kids that come through that orphanage are worshiping there. They have VBS there. We have pictures uh, of them baptizing kids in Destiny Chapel. It is beautiful. And we, 
We get to do that together. Paul was so concerned about the church in Corinth. And recognizing the need for unity in the body, Paul instructs the church in Corinth to take communion. Because it brings us all together and clarifies our vision. I want all of our ushers, Rick, you may have it covered already. If you do not have a communion cup and you desire one, if you did not get one as you were coming in, I want you to raise your hand high right now. pastor's wife did not get a communion cup (laughs) what is this world coming to Paul writes to the church and he recognizes that they've been doing communion wrong it seems like all the rich people in the church We're all getting to partake, and some of the poor are being left out. But not only were they partaking, but um, some of them seemed to like the wine a little bit too much. And Paul instructs them on how to do it right, and I believe Paul knew exactly what he was doing. Because you can't think back to the Lord's Supper. And a group of scared disciples sitting there with Christ. And they have no idea that they're about to turn the world upside down. They were one body sitting at that table. All on the same side of the table if you've ever seen the picture. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. I have, a, I have a bad habit of at the wrong time just making a joke, so bear with me. But they're all sitting at the same table, and Christ unites them through communion. Paul says, if I'm going to get this church back on track, I've got to do the same thing. If you'll go ahead and prepare the wafer. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul writes... For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of our Lord and what he did for us, would you take and eat of the bread? Verse 25, it says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you take 
and drink of the covenant of blood. Now in, in gratefulness and in praise and in worship to him, would you stand to your feet, lift your hands to heaven, and let's just offer some praise from our hearts to him. I, I, don't, we don't, I don't need the praise team coming just yet. This is between you and your Lord right now. Would you just thank him right now? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for offering your body in place of mine. Thank you for shedding your blood so that I wouldn't have to. And I believe it's through that blood that we are united as a body, the body of Christ. God, as you loved us, let us love one another. Let us be known by the way that we love. And thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be part of something that is so much bigger than we are. I thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in this room, to my right, to my left, in front of me, behind me. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we get to be in covenant with one another and that we get to make a difference in this world and that together, united in Christ, we will do greater things. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.